This is the fifth day of this September 2022 seven-day session. We're going back to uh, the letters of uh, Japanese Zen master Basui from the 14th century. Uh, we left off partway through a letter, a reply he wrote to the abbess of Shinryuji. The mind essence is intrinsically bright and unblemished. In it there is no distinction of Buddha and sentient beings, or the enlightened or the unenlightened. But its clarity is hidden behind delusive thoughts just as the light of the sun or the moon is obscured by clouds. Yet such thoughts can be dispelled through the power of Zazen, in the same way that clouds can be dissipated by a blast of wind. Once they vanish, the Buddha nature reveals itself just as the moon makes its appearance when clouds disappear. This light has ever been present it is not newly obtained outside oneself. Uh, the Buddha said, This mind is bright and self-luminous, but it is stained by adventitious defilements. Adventitious meaning uh, d- d- not essential to us, not in our essence. Uh, in this case, defilements that have... Uh, have come, uh, but as just as well can go. If you would free yourself from being driven within the six realms of existence or from the sufferings of birth and death, samsara, you must dispel your delusive feelings and perceptions. To dispel them, you must realize this mind. To realize this mind, you must do zazen. How you practice is of the utmost importance. You must penetrate your koans to the very core. The foundation of every koan is one's own mind. The deep yearning for the realization of mind we call desire for truth or thirst for realization. She is wise who deeply fears falling into hell. Only because the terrors of hell are so little known to them do people have no desire for the teachings of the Buddha. I know that uh, for some people uh, this uh, is a little hard to uh, accept, the stuff about the terrors of hell. Um, if you can get your mind around causation, cause and effect, uh, that uh, everything is the effect of a previous cause and is itself the cause of a subsequent effect, uh, then that would get you halfway to really appreciating what Basui is saying here. Because hell uh, is just any horribly painful state 
And uh, if you can buy into uh, the law of causation, karma, then you will see that uh, when we when we do pain-producing things, then we will inevitably have to uh, suffer pain. Suffer, let's call it hell, if it's bad enough. There's so many hellish states we read about now uh, in the media, starting with Ukraine, but hardly limited to that. Situations all over the world, in our own country, of course. That's what he's talking about. Don't uh, don't make the mistake of rejecting it because it sounds quaint and medieval. He's talking about suffering. How we can avoid suffering, causing ourselves suffering. The Buddha, the Buddha put it very simply. I teach but two things. Suffering and the end of suffering. It's not, this Zen practice is not a belief system, something you have to believe that seems contrary to uh, understanding. It's, a, it's just a way, it's, it's, it's medicine. It's, it's, we're sick in one way or another, we feel it. If not physically, psychologically, spiritually, we're sick. So the medicine is practice, Zen practice. Very practical. Practice, practical, not belief systems. And then if if, uh, you recognize in Buddhist doctrine what you have experienced through long practice, then you can put two and two together and see that there is something to this dharma. But until then, you don't have to believe anything. Because it's a practice, you have to believe in the practice. Doing it. Find out. See for yourself if this works. Do not try to prevent thoughts from arising. Very important. And do not cling to any that have arisen. Just as important. Let them appear and disappear as they will. Don't struggle with them. You need only unremittingly and with all your heart at ask yourself, what is my own mind? Or, what is Mu? Or, what is it? Who is it? Who am I? He says very flatly, I keep urging this because I want to bring you to self-realization. When you persistently try to understand what is beyond the domain of intellect, you are bound to reach a dead end, completely baffled. But push on. Sitting or standing, working or sleeping, probe tirelessly to your deepest self with the question, what is my own nature? 
fear nothing but the failure to experience your own true nature. This is Zen practice. And not only Zen practice, uh, this statement of his, Push on. It's the shortest sentence in this whole section, but push on. Uh, the wonderful uh, Sufi and no doubt enlightened Master Rumi, his usual magnificent way, he put it this way grind yourself, strip yourself down to blind, loving silence, stay there until you see you are gazing at the light with its own ageless eyes. Zen practice too. Stripping away all of this mental dross that obstructs us. How is this just through redirecting the mind back to the practice untiringly tiringly returning again and again and again push on he continues when the intense questioning envelops every inch of you and penetrates to the very bottom of all bottoms the question will suddenly burst and the substance of this true mind be revealed. Just as a mirror concealed in a box can reflect its surroundings only after the box is broken apart. So the mirror is always there, this mirror of our essential mind. The radiance of this mind will light up every corner of a universe free of even a single blemish. It's already free of a single blemish. You just have to see that is the case. You will be liberated at last from all entanglements within the six realms. All effects of evil actions having vanished. The joy of this moment cannot be put into words. It's very, very important if you can see behind all of these exhortations, this battering away at the reader, at this, his, his, the recipients of these letters of his and his monks and us, this, this relentless pounding away, compassion. He's dying for everyone to have this experience. It's so the most important thing in the world to him. Not for his sake. He continues, 
enlightened ones bear the same relation to the unenlightened as water does to ice. Ice, like stone or brick, cannot flow. But when it melts, it flows freely in conformity with its surroundings. So long as one remains in a state of delusion, he is like ice. Upon realization, he becomes as exquisitely free as water. You will understand there is no difference between ordinary beings and the enlightened except for one thing, delusion. When it is dissolved, they are identical. just occurs to me to... uh, read a a passage here, a sentence or two from uh, the account of an American ex-businessman. Seeing uh, as I flip through these pages, little bits of his own experience, pain in legs unbearable. Why don't I quit, he says here. Who can relate to that? (laughs) Reached a white heat today. Ah, here it is. August 9th, 1958. This is after his uh, Kensho. Feel free as a fish swimming in an ocean of cool, clear water after being stuck in a tank of glue. And so grateful. Grateful for everything that has happened to me. Grateful to everyone who encouraged and sustained me in spite of my immature personality and stubborn nature. But mostly I'm grateful for my human body, for the privilege as a human being to know this joy like no other. You know, he did hate Sashin in the... uh, early, at least the early ones, but uh, he, he, he needed so badly to find some kind of freedom, some release from his suffering that it just drove him back as much as he hated it. And then, you know, Sashin, is, there's a learning curve. You start to get out of your own way, you start to learn how to uh, deal with uh, physical pain, you start to, well, basically, you you learn to let go of what's going on in your mind, not cling to it. That's, That's when all is said and done, that's what it comes down to, learning that our thoughts are not our friends. Learning to choose 
learning to, instead of lingering thoughts, to just turn back to the practice. Basui continues, don't allow yourself to become discouraged. If your desire for truth is wanting, you may be unable to attain enlightenment in this life. But if you carry on your Zen practice faithfully, even while dying, you will be unquestionably you will unquestionably achieve enlightenment in your next existence. But don't dawdle. Imagine yourself on your deathbed at this very moment. What alone can help you? What alone can prevent you from falling into hell because of your transgressions? There is, fortunately, a broad path to liberation. From your very roots, ask this one question, what is my Buddha mind? If you would see the substance of all enlightened ones, immediately realize your own mind. Upon your enlightenment, the lotus will blossom in a roaring fire and endure without, throughout eternity. Human beings inherently are no different from the lotus. Why can't you grasp this? Now, writing to a Lord Nakamura, who was a governor of some province, you asked me how to practice Zen with reference to this phrase from a sutra, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere. This, uh, this, this arouse the mind without abiding anywhere is the... Uh, is a phrase that brought the sixth patriarch, Wei Nung, to deep enlightenment uh, as he was uh, uh, about to leave the monastery. He had, he had had his first kensho uh, overhearing a wood, a wood uh, someone hauling firewood, uh, reciting some other line from a sutra, and that took him to the fifth patriarch. And, uh, and then there was this encounter where they wrote their verses on the wall. The sixth, Wei Nung wrote his verse on the wall. And the fifth patriarch recognized he was a man of realization. And uh, so in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, of course it would be in the middle of the night, the fifth patriarch was reading to him from a sutra. And this line is what opened his mind even more, aroused the mind without its abiding anywhere. Basui says, there is no express method for attaining enlightenment. If you but look into your self-nature directly, not allowing yourself to be deflected, the mind flower will come into bloom. Therefore, the sutra says, 
and by the way, that's from the Diamond Sutra, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere. Thousands of words spoken directly by the enlightened ones and the ancestors add up to this one phrase. Mind is the true nature of things transcending all forms. True nature is the way, the Tao. The way is the Buddha. Buddha is mind. Mind is not within or without or in between. It is not being or nothingness or non-being or non-nothingness or Buddha or mind or matter. So it is called the abodeless mind. This mind sees colors with the eyes, hears sounds with the ears. Look for this mind directly. You know, this, this line, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere, is, a, is an excellent, very succinct um, instruction on how to practice Zen. Not just sitting. How to practice Zen is be alert, be aware, be attentive, keep your eyes open, and don't abide anywhere. Don't dwell in any, any mental phenomenon, thought, form, or feeling, or emotion, fantasy. Don't dwell in any of those. Don't dwell in any sensory uh, phenomenon. Letting go, letting go, discarding, moving on. Rinzai, he quotes Rinzai, or Linji, one's body composed of the four primal elements can't hear or, or understand this teaching. The spleen or stomach or liver or gallbladder can't hear or understand this teaching. Empty space can't understand it. Then what does hear and understand? Strive to perceive directly. If your mind remains attached to any form or feeling whatsoever or is affected by logical reasoning or conceptual thinking, you are as far from true realization as heaven is from earth. That's another nice way of summing up arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere is non-attachment. People fasten on that word. Uh, non-attachment and uh, from what I've often heard they they fasten on giving up their material things their belongings uh, giving up uh, marriage or romance giving up uh, all manner of things that's the least of it The, the, the real difficulty the real challenge is giving up our thoughts that we don't need. Yes, we think, we problem solve, there's a place for thinking, but so much of the dust in the mind is just unusable thoughts. 
So that's detachment, detaching, pulling free from, detaching from thoughts that have no real purpose in the mind. He goes on, how can you cut off at a stroke the sufferings of birth and death? As soon as you consider how to advance, you get lost in reasoning. In other words, if you plot, uh, plan a strategy, you get lost in reasoning. But if you quit, you are adverse to the highest path. To be able to neither advance nor quit is to be a quote, breathing corpse. If in spite of this dilemma you empty your mind of all thoughts and push on with your zazen, you are bound to enlighten yourself and apprehend the phrase, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere. Instantly you will grasp the sense of all Zen dialogue as well as the profound and subtle meaning of the countless sutra. Sutras. The layman Ho asked Basso, "What is it that transcends uh, transcends everything in the universe?" Basso answered, "I will tell you after you have drunk up the waters of the West River in one gulp." At that. Ho came to enlightenment. See here, what does this mean? Does it explain the phrase, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere? Or does it point to the very one reading this? If you still don't comprehend, go back to questioning what is hearing now. Find out this very moment. The problem of birth and death is momentous and the world moves fast. Make the most of time for it waits for no one. It goes on, in your zazen, think in terms of neither good nor evil. Uh, Let's just consider that. Really, this includes, this thinking of of good and evil really means judging. Judging one's practice, judging others, judging oneself, thinking in terms of right and wrong. a wonderful uh, 
phrase I read somewhere uh, in Zen. Uh, it's, it's just try, uh, like a child drawing without any thought of right or wrong, good or bad. Now, even though your questioning goes deep, you will get no answer, and eventually you will reach a cul-de-sac, your thinking totally checked. You won't find anything within that can be called I or mind. But who is it that understands all this? Continue to probe more deeply yet and the mind that perceives there is nothing will vanish. You will no longer be aware of questioning, but only of emptiness. In Zazen, neither loathe nor be charmed by any of your thoughts. With your mind turned inward, look steadily into their source, and the delusive feelings and perceptions in which they are rooted will evaporate. This is not yet self-realization, however. Though your mind becomes bright and empty like the sky, and you have awareness of neither inner nor outer, and all the ten quarters seem clear and luminous. So he's talking about a state of great clarity, emptiness, no thought. To take this for realization is to mistake a mirage for reality. (coughs) Now, even more intensely search this mind of yours. (coughs) This mind of yours that hears. Your physical body is like a phantom without reality, yet apart from this body there is no mind. The empty space of all ten quarters can neither see nor hear, still something within you does hear and distinguish sounds. Who or what is it? When this question totally ignites you, distinctions of good and evil, awareness of being or emptiness, vanish like a light extinguished on a dark night. Though you are no longer consciously aware of yourself, still you can hear and know you exist. Try as you will to discover the subject that is hearing, your efforts will fail and you will find yourself at an impasse. Notice, he says says over and over, you're not going to get an answer. There's no answer it's it's growing into no mind, no thought. All at once your mind will burst into great enlightenment and you will feel as though you have risen from the dead, laughing loudly and clapping your hands in delight. If, if someone were to ask, 
what does one's Buddha mind look like? I would answer, in the trees fish play, in the deep sea birds are flying. What does this mean? If you don't understand it, look into your own mind and ask yourself, what is he, this master who sees and hears? And then he finishes, make the most of time, it waits for no one. We human beings so, so naturally assume that we have all the time we need. We just see it stretching on ahead of us. It's very hard, isn't it, to to grasp that it can all end at once. Our lives rest on assumption, the assumption that it will just go on and on and on and on. From time to time, of course, we remind ourselves that uh, it won't go on forever. Someday we're going to die. But how much does it mobilize us to really do something about the fact that effectively on, on the the certainty of death and the uncertainty of the time of death. There is a Buddhist practice I've heard where you meditate on death. Now that would help, but it's uh, it's not Zen as I've ever heard about it or understood it. Then all the all the emphasis is on this here, now, the present. To a dying man, your mind essence is not subject to death, nor is it something that feels pain or joy. However much you try to know with your rational mind that which is now sick, you cannot. Yet if you think of nothing, wish for nothing, want to understand nothing, cling to nothing, and only ask yourself, what is the true substance of the mind and of this one who is now suffering? Ending your days like clouds fading in the sky, you will eventually be freed from your painful bondage to endless change. Painful bondage to endless change.
This is a this is sort of a central challenge of human existence is is um, meeting change and and uh, dealing with change. We spend so much time trying to arrange everything uh, in accordance with what we want, what we don't want. We may have some success in getting it all set up the way we want, but then things change. Here, just one bit more about his warning about getting into a state when, when sitting, getting into a deep state of emptiness. Uh, and uh, he issues the same warning that other masters have and that I have in Doksan. Uh, this last appears when the true nature begins to manifest itself, but it cannot be called genuine self-realization. Zen masters of old would call it the deep pit of pseudo-emancipation. Those who reach this stage, believing they have no more problems in the Dharma, behave haughtily through lack of wisdom, engage eagerly in debates on religion, taking delight in cornering their opponents, but becoming angry when cornered themselves appear perpetually discontented while no longer believing in the law of causation, go about telling jokes in a loud, jabbering voice, deliberately disturb and ridicule those who study and strive earnestly. Well, it's, uh, I don't see much of that at our Zen center, probably our other Zen centers either. It was more of a problem, I think, in ancient times when so many of the monks uh, didn't really want to be there for any kind of spiritual aspiration, but just are left there by their parents who can't afford to care for them, or they did it to escape the draft or to avoid paying taxes. But this deep pit of pseudo-emancipation is something to be very wary of, can be so, so luscious to have the mind fall silent and enter the state of, of bright, clear emptiness um, and just want to stay there. Who wouldn't? It's marvelous. State of freedom. But it's a conditioned state. It it arose out of certain conditions and it will pass when those conditions change. So we can't let ourselves linger there. Have to, if the koan has disappeared, don't let it. Get it back. Keep up with the questioning of it. It's kind of, it's kind of unpleasant when you're in that state to have to 
take up this, get back to the koan that seems so impermeable, impenetrable. But that's exactly what we have to do if we want to see into the unconditioned. We have to, again, let go, same thing, without abiding anywhere. Don't abide in that state of emptiness. And if you're, work, if you're working on a koan, keep chewing on the koan, <coughs> as, as tasteless as it may be to do that. He's writing now to a monk in Shobo Hermitage at the monk's urgent request. Basui writes, In my boyhood, this question perplexed me. Aside from this physical body, what replies, I am so-and-so, when asked, Who are you? This perplexity, having once arisen, it became deeper year by year, resulting in my desire to become a monk. Then I made this solemn vow. Now that I have determined to be a monk, I cannot search for truth for my own sake. Even after winning the supreme truth, I will defer enlightenment until I have saved every sentient being. Furthermore, until this perplexity has been dissolved, I will not study Buddhism, or learn the rituals and practices of a monk. So long as I live in the human world, I will stay nowhere except with great Zen masters and in the mountains. He goes on uh, reminiscing about his earlier life. After I entered a monastery, my perplexity increased. At the time, at the same time, a strong resolve arose from the bottom of my heart, and I thought, the Buddha has passed already, and Miroku, the future Buddha, has not yet appeared. During this period when authentic Buddhism has declined to the point where it is about to expire, may my desire for self-realization be strong enough to save all sentient beings in this Buddhaless world. Even should I suffer the pangs of everlasting hell as a result of attachment this attachment, so long as I can shoulder the sufferings of sentient beings, I will never become discouraged or forsake this eternal vow. He, he continues with a vow. Furthermore, in practicing Zen, I will not idle away my time thinking of life and death or waste even a minute in trifling good works. Trifling good works. So here he's distinguishing between uh, doing good things and seeing, seeing into the self-nature. Nor will I blind others to the truth by trying to minister them so long as my own spiritual strength is insufficient to lead them to self-realization. I think what's most important here is his 
uh, determination, besides the determination to come uh, to enlightenment, uh, his saying, I cannot search, continue this search for my own sake, meaning my own sake alone. This is his, his bodhisattva nature, his awareness that to, to advance spiritually oneself, to have breakthroughs, to come even to come to enlightenment, means is, is insufficient when uh, there is so much suffering in the world. This elevates this this aspiration from what is basically what is based on self-interest to something that is far greater and more powerful. More powerful when we when we realize that we have to do this for others. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Some people who hear this will think, uh, "Oh, give me a break! I just want to. I just want some out of my own suffering first. Is that too much to ask?" But but it can it can change. It will change as you go on. Where it isn't enough, just for one's own sake. We can't divide one's own sake from the sake of others, the well-being of others. He, he goes on talking to this dying man. These resolutions became part and parcel of my thinking, bothering me to some extent in my zazen, but I could not do otherwise. I constantly prayed to Buddhas for strength to carry out these resolutions, which I made the standard of my conduct in both favorable and unfavorable circumstances. Thus it has been up to the present. And then he lapses into uh, uh, self-effacement. He says, it is really pointless to tell you about these delusive states of mine, but as you make bold to ask, I write here of my aspirations as a novice. All right, uh, our time is up. We'll stop and recite the four vows.